Amen. Well, good morning, folks. Good to see you here this morning. And as we gather, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn into the book of Genesis starting out. We're going to read from Genesis 6 and look at something, but we're going to primarily preach out of Romans, Romans chapter 7, looking at the testimony of Paul at a conclusion he had. And I want to talk to us this morning about something that God's put on my heart. I don't know about y'all, but I look at what's going on in the world today in which we live, and I'm thankful that there is a place called the presence of God that we can enter into to where even in the midst of this troubled world in which we live, you can find peace and you can find rest. And under the shadow of his wings, there's this sweet place where you can find sanctuary. (laughs) And if you ever get there, you got to have been there to know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about church or a good service. I'm talking about God's presence over and in your life, overshadowing your circumstances. Greater than the consequences that you find yourself in, his presence, the reality that God is alive and he lives in your heart. And he's able to bring you peace beyond understanding. That when you come to Jesus, he does give rest. That presence of God. But what I want to look at this morning is what happens when you remove God? What's the result of removing God? I believe with all my heart, I'm going to show you scripturally. And I'm going to show you in actual experience that what you get is unrestrained depravity. Most of us are unfamiliar with that word depravity. That's a theological word. It's what sin has done to humankind. We are hopelessly filled with an inherited corruption from sin that gives us a tendency to choose evil instead of good. (laughs) Some of us may not believe that, but I want you to look at a biblical example of a reality of what happens to a civilization, in fact, a world, when God is removed and people are allowed to just let their natural condition rule. It happened in Noah's days. And look at what God said about the earth and the people in it. Look at verse 5 with me this morning. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is probably one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. God looked at the earth and he said, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, meaning every motivation of his thoughts of his heart, was only to do evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. You know, I think about what's going on today on the earth. Do you think it makes God happy? If it grieves our heart, can you imagine how it must grieve our Creator's heart? Why would we act this way? Why would humankind treat one another this way? And in the midst of this great time of unrestrained depravity, 
in and among men, there was one guy that God seen, though, that found grace. His name was Noah. Look at verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created, the face of the earth, both man, beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, grace in the eyes of the Lord. What caused that to happen? Well, look at what it says about Noah. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. You know what? In that day, there was only one man who walked with God. Not one other man chose to have God in their life. So they removed God. They lived without God. Noah was the only man that lived with God and walked with God. And also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted way on the earth. All flesh. Now guys, I want you to think about this. Not one single person chose God in Noah's day. It is believed by Bible scholars and people who study the Word of God that it took Noah approximately 100 years, a little over 100 years to build the ark. While Noah, that one just righteous man who walked with God, who had God in his life, everybody else who had removed God from their life and was living life for themselves would have seen Noah. And Noah wasn't just building an ark. He was building and setting a testimony of righteousness. And the Bible says that Noah, a preacher of righteousness in Second Peter, as he built that ark, I'm sure a lot of people said, what you doing, Noah? He said, God told me to build this ark. Well, why did God tell you to build this ark? Because look around. Look at what's going on. Look at how corrupt. And look at how we are. Look at how mankind has become. So God told me to build this ark because he's going to judge us. <laughs> How's he going to do it? Well, he's going to make it rain. What is that? We ain't never seen rain. Well, you will. He's going to flood the earth. And this is the ark. You can get in it with us. No one helped Noah build the ark. No one believed Noah. Because the whole world chose to remove God from their life. What happens? What is the result of removing God from your life? Unrestrained depravity. Let me show you why. Sin is universal. We all sin. Why do we sin? How many here agrees with me sin is bad? If you sin, does it cause good things to happen? It feels good for a season, but the end result is always bad. So I ask myself, then why do we do it? If we know sin never brings goodness and never brings what it promises into our life. It never fulfills, it never satisfies, and it always brings circumstances and consequences that you regret. But yet we continue to do it. There's nobody in here that doesn't sin. And so, guys, I want to show you why. Because we're all born with an indwelling sinful nature. You don't have a choice. You can't help but to sin. You see, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 
We all naturally commit sin. You can't help it. I want you to see this. Sin's inherited corruption. You know where the Bible says it come from? We don't know the origin of sin because sin existed before the garden because the angels had already followed the rebellion of Satan and been cast from heaven. So sin was there, but we know how sin came into mankind. Sin entered mankind through the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then you ask me, why can you not stop sinning? Why is there something in you that makes you bent toward evil and doing things that you know are going to bring wrong and head into your life and not only hurt you but hurt people around you that you love? It's because you can't help yourself because according to the Bible, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, the inherited corruption of sin causes death. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And we've been sinning ever since. And guys, I want you to think about this. The depravity of man, that's a theological term. But what it is, it's sin's inherited corruption that we inherited from Adam. Just like you inherited brown hair and brown eyes or whatever color from your parents physically. We inherit it from Adam, the fallen nature that came into his life and Eve's life when sin entered in. See, sin's inherited corruption has caused mankind to be born with a disposition that has a tendency to choose evil. Now, let's just remove the Bible for a minute and let's use personal experience. How many of you got kids? How many of you had to train your kid to do bad? I'm so proud of little Johnny. Well, I never got him to be selfish. But he's so selfish and self-centered now. Praise God. He understands that everything's about Johnny. That it's me first. You don't have to teach nobody that. It's born in you. I want you to look at this. Think about it. No parent ever had to teach a child to misbehave. You got to teach you how, how to behave. You don't have to teach somebody how to be bad. Just leave them alone. They'll have no problem with being bad. You see, you got to intervene. You got to influence for good, or good will never happen in our life. That's what God's presence is. He's the restraint from the inherited corruption of sin in our life, leading us into a life of depravity. And if you remove God, every one of us has much more potential for evil. I'm not saying you can't do good, but even your good won't be what it can be. Because of the corruption, the inherited corruption that leads us to depravity. Listen, doing the wrong thing comes naturally to all of us. <laughs> We're born that way. You push the right button on the most godly man you know, and he will lean towards sin. And I want you to think about this with me before. David's conclusion. If you want to turn with me right quick, you can. We're working our way back to Romans. But we all are familiar with Damon's, David's great confession and his repentance and his coming back to God after his sin with Bathsheba and after he murdered Bathsheba's husband, David was consumed with the fact that I have sinned way beyond I ever thought I would. He was the king. He loved God. He wrote the Psalms. He was a man who praised God, who served for the Lord. He fought for the Lord. He's the greatest king in the history of Israel. Yet he did a sin he never thought he would do. Every one of us has potential to do something we never thought we could do. 
We have the potential in us because of the inward corruption of sin and depravity that exists in the heart of man to do things we never imagined we would do if put in the right position. And so that happened to David, and he's searching his heart. And listen what he says in Psalm 51, verse 1. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He said, blot them out, Lord. I want them gone. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He's so consumed with the fact that there's sin in him. He wants it gone. And he realizes the only one who can remove it is God. And the only reason he could ever see that God might remove it is because of God's mercy. Not because he deserves it to be removed. Because he admits he caused it. Listen to what he says. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned, God, and done this evil in your sight. And listen to what he says. He says that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge me. And then listen to what he says about himself. It's in the verse. The King James is where I just read for The King James is the top one. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. What is he saying there? I was brought forth. You got to kind of really think about it to catch what he's saying. But what he's saying is, surely I was sinful at birth. <laughs> when I was brought forth into this world, when I was born... I was sinful already. In fact, he said, I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I like what the New Living Translation says. That's the Marvin Redneck version. He said, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. From the moment I drew breath on earth, I had been given potential within me to do evil. Where did it come from? He inherited it from Adam. The Bible tells us. I want you to think about this. David was so overwhelmed with the consciousness of his own sin that he begins to look back on his life and he realizes he has been sinful from the very beginning. And if you get serious about your sin and you get serious about looking at your life the way God sees it and the way Scripture decides it, you will come to the same conclusion. I have been sinful from the beginning, as far back as he could remember his life, David realized he had been indwelled with a nature to sin. He said, I was born that way, conceived in my mother's womb on the day I was born. You know, when you look at the Bible, great men of God over and over and over see themselves with a heart that's not what we like to admit. Jeremiah's conclusion was this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man, I hear people say, I know my heart. Do you? My heart has deceived me and surprised me many times because I have learned the hard way. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. And you can't truly know your heart apart from God's help. And listen, I want you to understand, we all have a heart prone to wander from God and commit sin. Willingly knowing God says, don't do this, don't say this, don't act like this, don't go there. With God tugging on the strings of our heart, we'll even still, if we're not careful, go against that restraint and wander. If we do it with God, what chance do you have to not do it without God?
Remove God, zero chance. Unrestrained depravity is the result of humanity. Just think what the world would be like after the rapture when the church is gone and the presence of the Holy Spirit is gone and there's no light and salt to proclaim the truth of the gospel and everyone's left unrestrained. That's what's going to make tribulation such a terrible thing. No more grace. Friends, listen. Isaiah's conclusion was this. Isaiah was a godly man. He was a priest. He was a prophet. He went into the temple seeking God. He had served for numerous times for different kings. He goes into the temple one day and God is standing there, the king of kings. And when he's seen God, he, you ever heard that song, We Can Only Imagine? I don't know what we're going to do. I love that song. But I don't think we're going to jump up and down and say hallelujah. Like we, I think we're going to all bow our heads and say, look at the glory of God. Look what he said. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. The moment he seen God, he realized how undone he was, how incomplete, how imperfect. What made him that way? Sin? God created him perfect. God created us all perfectly done. But sin corrupted what God corrected. I mean, created. And so now we're all undone. And listen to what he said, because I'm a man of unclean lips. There's not a person in this room can say my lips has never said anything unclean. That I've never talked and said things I shouldn't say. But friends, when he seen God, buddy, he recognized it. But listen to what he also said later on in 64. He says, all of us has become like something unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. If I came to church today to wear a shirt, let's say I went fishing in. And then I cleaned the limit of fish. And it had fish guts all over it. And it had all the slime and the junk. And then I went out and cut grass all day in it after I got home and got all sweaty. And it had good old B.O. in it. You ever had B.O. when it sat in the hamper for about three days? What if I put that on today and came to church to preach and wanted to give you a hug? Do you think you'd want to hug me? It don't matter how good I preach. You'd be ready to get away from me. You'd be, you wouldn't even want to hear what I got to say. Guys, listen, sometimes that's how I think we are with our righteous acts with God. We come to God trying to create righteous acts and try to do righteous things when we got all this unrighteous stuff and we're polluted. And we try to put on our religious rags. And I want to tell you, my friends, unless God is doing it in our life. A lot of what we do is the same way. That's how he's seen us. He said all of us have become that way. Why? Look at what he says. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Friends, you know, we don't like to admit sin. I hate this sermon, but I got to preach what God tells me to preach. I preached at this first service. I went over there and I, I actually said, God, can I preach something different? I, wanna pre- I don't like this. But I want you to look at what Paul who I believe is the greatest Christian in the New Testament, possibly the Bible. And Paul went through this, and when I read it, it so much eerily comes home. Listen what Paul says in Romans chapter 17, and you see the depravity of sins inherit corruption even in the life of the Apostle Paul. Even Paul writing Scripture, listen what he says is going on in his life. Look at what he says in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is good. The law that shows us the righteousness of God and what's right and what's wrong. We know it's good. 
But he says, but I'm carnal and sold under sin. He said, I love the law. And I love what the law says, but why do I keep doing what I hate? (laughs) So listen to what he says in the next verse. I put it on the screen. For I'm doing, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. I don't know about y'all. God's been working in my life plenty long enough for me to know better to do what I do sometimes. Then I say, Lord, why do I do it? I don't understand. But I want you to understand the way you do it is because there's evil inside of you that dwells in every human being. But none of us want to admit it. Our pride goes against it. But the Bible is clear. Look at what Paul confessed in his confession. Look at what he says three times. If you look with me, he says in verse 15, it's on the screen. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. (laughs) Seems crazy. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. He said, I believe the law is good. But now, look at verse 17. It is no longer I who are doing this, but sin that dwells in me. Paul said, there's sin dwelling in me. Look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Paul said this about himself. I know that in me, in this fleshly, carnal body, there's nothing good that dwells. And friends, that old nature is corrupt. We inherited it from Adam, but thank God we got saved and got a new nature that comes from Jesus. And I want you to look at this. He says, for I know, verse 18, that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And I don't know about you, but anybody who seriously tried to walk with Jesus and walk away from sin and turn from the world and turn to Calvary and turn to Jesus and have made that decision, I have decided to follow Jesus, has struggled with what Paul's struggling with, if you're honest. If you've never struggled with it, you ain't even trying to follow Jesus. So quit kidding yourself. It's the man who wants to follow God, who believes the law is good, who wants to live by the law, who realizes how impossible it is for us to do it. And friends, I don't know about you, until you've realized how bad you want to quit sin, you don't know how bad and how powerful sin is. And so listen to what Paul says, his confession. Paul goes on and says, got to find my place. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but here it is again, but the sin that dwells in me. Look at verse 21. I find in a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do God. For a delight in the law of God according to my inward man, that's his saved man, but I see another law in my members. He's talking about in his body. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. And then look at what he calls himself. This is Paul's conclusion. Oh, Wretched man that I am. Now, guys, if Paul seen himself as a wretched man, what do you think people out there who have nothing to do with God, who have removed God their whole life, and nothing has ever influenced them, what drives them, the motivation and intent of their heart, is all the depravity of their fallen sinful nature that's within them. And there's no restraint. There's no God. 
If you remove God, there's nothing left for a human to do but to be controlled by his inherited corruptedness from sin and to see depravity rule his life. Now, every man doesn't react completely as much as others, but every man has the potential and does, if he removes God, allow depravity. What happens when you take God out of a, a situation? Let me explain that to you. Because what we did years back is America began the process of removing God. We've removed God from the marriage. And we've redefined it. And marriage now is no longer just between a man and a woman. It's any way you want to make it. And marriage no longer has the biblical roles of husband and wife. The God-given roles of the responsibilities of a husband and the godly responsibilities of a wife. Now you have marriage however you want to have it. So you remove God from your marriage and you know what's going to rule that marriage? Depravity. Fallen nature. And then that marriage produces a family. And so we remove God from the family. Now you can make a family. However, it's no longer a man and a woman married together in holy matrimony. A family can be anything. Two men, two women, call up what you want. Family no longer is under the biblical model of God because God's been removed and the families now have no restraint. They're just put together however and whichever way we wish. Two daddies can be a mama. We'll both be mama. If you don't like being a man, you can become a woman. If you didn't like being a woman, you could become a man. That's removing God. And friends, we've done it. And we're paying the price. Because we've took God from the family, from the marriage. And then what happens is that family grows up without the restraint, without the help of God, without the influence of God in His ways. You see, God gave us a Bible. God gave us a law. God gave us the Holy Spirit. God gave us His Son, Jesus, the greatest help of all. Remove all that and there's nothing left. But for you to run the course of your natural end, which is that inward corrupted nature, to control you. Except a man be born again. You see, when you're born again and you're saved, God puts His Spirit in you. He puts His life in you. He gives you grace. And friends, listen. We need to understand salvation is much more than what we've downplayed it to and belittled it to become. Sin, yes, we were forgiven of sin. But guys, listen. Salvation did much more than give you a free get-out-of-hell card and a reservation to get into heaven. Salvation gave you a relationship with God. And a relationship with God provides you with what you need. It gives you a new nature. The Spirit of God comes into you. The nature of Christ and Christ, His life, you have the old nature that you inherited from Adam. Now, when you get born again and you truly mean it in your heart that I don't want to have sin. I don't want to live under the control. I want God in my life. You get born again and now you have the new nature. The nature of Jesus. That's what Paul's battling with. 
The new nature's telling him what to do. The old nature, and guess what? Even with all of that help, it's hard. So what chance does the world have who has removed God? Zero. It breaks my heart as I look at this, but here's Paul's conclusion. Oh, wretched man that I am, he asked the obvious question. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God. You see, there's thankfulness in this sermon. What do we thank God for? Jesus, our Lord. Because Paul said, so then with my mind, I myself now serve the law of God. I've got a new mind, a a new mind. My mind's been renewed so that I can do the will of God. But I still have the old flesh, the old man that's under the law of sin. But he said, God, thanks be to God, who Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. Friends, I want you to think about this. It's so hard to believe, but most people find it hard to believe that we are as bad as the Bible says we are. (laughs) In fact, I believe very few people in the church believe we're as bad as the Bible says we are without God. I find this very ironic considering that the 20th century, our century, has been the most wicked and bloodiest century in the history of the world. Think about what's happened in our lifetime. It should be getting better if we have it in ourselves to do good. If we have it in ourselves to overcome evil by doing good, and we are able to to do good, we ought to be getting better. But how many of you would be willing to take the truth and admit it's getting worse? Let me tell you some things that happened in our lifetime. There was a holocaust where six million innocent Jews were slaughtered by Nazi Germany. Say, well, Hitler done that. Hitler couldn't do that without a nation behind him. Fanatics who believed him, who was so corrupt in their hearts that they thought they were the super race. Germany. Everybody else. And friends, that's what sin does. Guys, it it didn't just happen in Nazism. We tend to forget these, especially this younger generation. But don't ever forget, my friend, that there were millions more killed by Stalin across the Soviet Union in the name of communism. Have you ever read about communism? you ever read about Stalin? The atrocities that man committed against man? All for the sake of communism, a godless religion? But it didn't just happen in Russia. It happened in China, this same generation. There was a Mayo regime in China where millions more were killed all for the godless rule of communism. You know why communism and every other form of government that is socialistic and wants to control you, wants to remove God? Because if God's in control of you, they can't control you. And friends, I want you to think about this. There was 800,000 Tutsi slaughtered in Rwanda not very long ago. It is an estimated that perhaps 20% of the population of Cambodia was wiped out under Pol Pot's regime. And of course, you can't forget good old United States of America, who has killed over 40 million unborn babies since 1973. And the majority of that is under the cause of convenience. I understand they can be a medical reason, I can, but I want to tell you something. No matter what you want to call it, that was a life till you stopped it. And then we don't want to think it's evil. We don't want to admit there was World War I, World War II, and countless other smaller wars where we killed one another 
And still there are people who say that human beings are basically good and have it in themselves to rule themselves and overcome sin. Why aren't we doing it? It's getting worse by the day. It's not getting better. Some believe that through modern technology and heightened intelligence, we have it in ourselves to build a world absent of the results of our sinfulness with no depravity. I don't know about y'all, but I look around. (laughs) We have more assets. We have more that should make the world better. But the world I see around me is worse than ever. So I'm going to tell you, in my humble opinion, that no amount of human education will ever free us from the depravity of our fallen sinful nature. You can't educate yourself out of your sinfulness. It's back. It's been my experience when I look at history that the uneducated does not rule and own depravity. Sometimes it's the most educated that seem the most depraved. Hitler wasn't stupid. Stalin wasn't stupid. They were all brilliant. They were all leaders. But they led for evil when they could have led for good. Do you see the potential America has to go? That what can happen if God doesn't intervene and begin to restrain the depravity that seems to be ruling the day in our society? Guys, it's much more important than getting people to go to heaven and not go in hell, as important as that is. But it seems to me it's already becoming hell on earth because we've removed God. And friends, this is my conclusion. For what it's worth to you, the preacher's conclusion is this. Without God, without His grace, you know what God's grace is. Giving to us what we don't deserve. I got to find my note here. I got four pages of notes this morning. Without God's grace, it is impossible for any man to live a life that overcomes the depravity of his fallen sinful nature. Some are worse than others. But guys, listen. Not only for us to be saved and forgiven and go to heaven, but for us to rule and be able to overcome our old nature. I don't care how good a man looks. You, get, you push the right button, he can get sinful. You put him in the right position, his depravity will show up. Because it's naturally in us, especially when we remove God and his restraints. So I want you to look at this. Removing God always results in unrestrained depravity. Every time. Take God out. Unrestrained depravity is what you're going to get. Look around today. What do you see? Tell you what, I see a universal lack in common decency. Everywhere we look. An epidemic rise in violent crimes. Uncontrollable murder rates. No respect for life whatsoever. I've almost quit watching the news, but my mama won't let me. She keeps calling me, telling me what's on there. And we need to keep up with it. But I got news for you. This world ain't going to get better. The only one that's going to make it better is God, not us. People are worse than ever. They're rude. They're dishonest. They're lazy. They don't want to work. They want everything for free. And if they don't get what they want, they're filled with anger because they're selfish. And when they don't get their selfish way, they're hateful. 
And they're unloving. And if you don't do what they want, they're unable to forgive because they can't forgive because they've never been forgiven. By the greatest one, Jesus. Friends, I don't know about y'all, I got forgiven one day. Because I was the result of unrestrained depravity. Way worse than most, thank God. But if God was able to fix my mess, he can fix yours. And I'm here to tell you, God can fix America. He can fix your family. He can fix any church. But we got to put him back where he belongs. He has to be first. And he has to be in the place of our heart. You got to be saved. And even when you're saved, it's hard. Would you agree with me? But it's possible because of grace. Grace makes a difference. Yesterday, I was going to go weed eat, and one of my neighbors came and he got me. And unexpectedly, it wasn't because of my goodness, it wasn't because of my spirituality that I'm a soul winner. <laughs> but I was taken to their house and I met one of them. I met his wife, and we're just talking, and we're sharing, and they're asking me, and I'm asking them where they're from. And before I knew it, it just happened. They wanted to know about, oh, you're a preacher. How did that happen? And I began to share my testimony. And as I began to share my testimony, I began to tell them how I used to be. (laughs) And And God reminded me how unrestrained you used to be. And in the midst of that 30 minutes of sharing about Jesus, that wife was like, that husband was like. <laughs> but I, God, when I left, I was filled with joy. I said, Lord, I was in the masses of depravity. But by your grace, one day you saved us. And you took the worst thing that ever happened to me. The woman I love more than anything else on earth, my wife, I lost her. We were getting divorced. I was broken. I was hurt. The worst hurt of my life. And I thought it was over and you saved her. And you changed her and then she came and you used her to save me. And we, not just she saved me, but she impacted me. And you took me to a church and I heard the gospel and Jesus, you saved us. And you know what he did? He repaired us. He restored our marriage. He rebuilt our relationship And he reconciled us and he made us new. And that's what Paul said can happen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Can I get an amen? But you got to give him everything. Because if you want everything from him, you got to give him everything. And I want you to see something. We're only going to get as much of God as we think we need. And friends, we need him all. And friends, today... I know this is not a pleasant message to hear, but if you look outside in America and you're honest, we chose to take prayer out of school. We chose to remove the Bible. We took the Ten Commandments off the courthouse walls. We took Jesus out of our marriages. We took Jesus out of our families. We left the Bible and we chose the world and we're reaping the world when the world comes into our life. Satan's very clever. It doesn't happen all at once. That first family that removed God, that man still had a lot of things that restraint caused. He was the product of a godly home. He was the product of 
godly education. He was the product of what God says is right and wrong, and we believe that. But one generation that removes God in that marriage is no longer the biblical marriage. It's removed God, and it creates a family that removes God. Then they have a family. And then that one gets a little bit worse because they remove God. And then what happened three generations ago? Grandpa's influence diminishes. So what does grow? The influence of your inward sinfulness. And America has generation by generation by generation got further and further from God. And we've become more and more a product of our inherited, corrupted, sinful natures. And what we see today is depravity rules the land. But good news is that Jesus saves, that Jesus changes lives. Paul said, I don't understand. The things I don't want to do, I'm doing. The things I do do, I'm not doing. The things I hate, I'm doing. I agree that the Word of God is good, but I'm not doing it. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. He always was the answer. He always will be the answer. And He is the only hope. But I want to tell you, in Him, there is victory. There is new life. Joy, unthinkable. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation. It's a simple invitation. Do you want God or not? Are you and God where you need to be or not? Do I want the same results? Or do I want to get closer to God? Because we can never get so close to God that we don't need more of Him. We need more God and less of us. And the way to do that is to just listen to Him. Not me. Not a spouse. Listen to God. What's He telling you to do? Because I promise you, if you're not saved, Jesus is saying, come to me. Whosoever will come to me, I'll not turn anyone away. Come to me, sinner, and I'll save you. For those of us who are backslidden, he's like that father waiting. Come on home, prodigal. Come on back. The father's house is waiting. And for everyone else in between, wherever you may find yourself, God is always willing and able to help us if we'll seek him. So I'm praying today that some soft sinner will find Jesus, that some Christian who's wandered will come home. But more than anything, I'm praying that we'll see God move in our days and change what we've seen and bring revival and spiritual awakening. Would you pray? Father, we bow in your presence to a holy, awesome God who can save any life, change any life, restore any situation. There's no consequence too great that you can't overcome. There's no circumstances beyond your ability to make a difference. And so, Lord, today we bow in your presence in need of your help, seeking your face, broken over our nation, our communities, our churches, our families, our marriages. God, we need you. So, God, please show up. Please do what only you can do. Pour your grace out upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hear the Savior say.